titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome back to another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager at Second City Hockey, and I've got one old and one new line mate with me tonight. Uh, first off, it's my usual left wing, left wing or right wing? Which side do you want? I'll take the left wing. Yeah. You take the left wing. Okay. Uh, my, the analytics darling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Hello. I played a lot better than most forwards on the team tonight, and I didn't play. Congratulations. <laughs> Once again, you had a whole week to think of a quip, and that, that's what you got? Hey, I am somewhat busy uh, <laughs> with life things. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll let it slide, but you know, hopefully, you know, we're just looking for a little bit of improvement each time. Kind of, kind of like know. Blackhawks, you know, just, I'm, I'm you know. a, I'm going to look at the news and I'm going to be ready for next week. Okay. Good to know. And then, uh, the new line mate who got his, uh, podcast debut last week and I think he's got his feet wet. So he's ready to go this time around. It is Mill Savage. Hello friends. Is How's it, it going? Is it's <laughs> so, uh, Savage, right? Not Savage. Savage, it's correct. Okay, I just but if, if it's a Canadian broadcast, they'll say Savage. Yeah, of course. Um, apparently, uh, the Blackhawks goaltender, who we're going to talk about a lot tonight, is it's Lankinen. It's not Lankinen. Everyone keeps calling him Lankinen, but it's it's almost like the O N K sound, I guess. And but everyone keeps calling him Lankinen, and I think his nickname is probably Lanky at this or Lanky or Lanks because hockey nicknames are boring. Yeah, I was, yeah. was going to call him Clank. Clank. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I, like uh, Clank is a good nickname for a goalie. That, yeah. that that works well. But anyway, we're coming to you not long after the Blackhawks picked up a point for the fifth straight game, which is the uh, the silver lining if you're looking for something of what's been going on for the last week or so. But the Blackhawks lost two to one in overtime and a shootout to the Predators, uh, capping a brief two games and two nights stand with the Predators in Nashville. The same result happened the night before with Nashville winning in overtime. So the Blackhawks picked up two pity points by getting to overtime twice. Uh, I don't know what that does for anybody because it's not like this team is really looking for a playoff spot. But, you know, there's your consolation prize if you want it. But before we go any further with some of the other games we've missed over the last week since we've been gone, wanted to mainly focus on the game that just happened. So first off, Shepard Price, I'll come to you. What stood out? What did you see? What did you think? What did you feel about? the Blackhawks game tonight. I think the main point is the fourth line continues to look really good. Um, mm-hmm. They scored the the team's lone goal coming off a of Ryan Carpenter rebound. And again, Kevin Lankinen continues, Lankinen continues to look really good in net. And maybe the Blackhawks aren't as screwed in net as we thought. It's starting to feel better. Like after the first three games that were split between Delia and Subban, Subban, excuse me, uh, it was little scary because at some point you have to have a goaltender that can just that can do an adequate job and make all the saves he's supposed to and neither Delia nor Subban were going to do that and then your mind just wanders into well if we get 56 games of this it's gonna be rough if they can't make save it's gonna be like two or three seasons ago when Crawford went down with an injury and there was a rotating cast of subpar goalies 
and everything went to hell that season. And it's really hard to develop guys when you're losing by three or four every night because your goalie can't make a save. But seeing what Lankanen is doing has significantly altered my mood just two weeks into the season. Yeah, and to be fair to Subban, in that first game, it was the Blackhawks' first game without a preseason against a competitive team, against the defending Stanley Cup champions. I would have been surprised if he had been able to play well in that situation. Yeah, I, I think even Lankanen might have got lit up in that situation. And I think Delia got the second game against the lightning and Dealey got a second start in against Florida and didn't play as well then. So I think no objections that anyone can have right now. Kevin Lankinen is the front runner for whatever goalie rotation or competition or whatever it is you want to call it. Lankinen's number one right now. I'm not and saying, you know, probably already, yeah. you know, you don't give him the premature Jeremy Collins and contract extension, but you, you got to like what you see. And, and that's, that's better than we were two weeks ago. Like two weeks ago, Kevin Lankanen had never even played in the NHL. So I think that's a vast improvement over the way things were. Mill, what about you? What have you been thinking about the game tonight? On a positive note, both nights, you know, our goaltending was very good. It's funny because the workload wasn't crazy as far as shots go. They weren't these, you know, Corey Crawford 50 save games. But there were some really, you know, dangerous scoring opportunities. And both of them, Subban and uh, Lankanen, were both able to make some pretty key saves, but on the opposite end of that, it's like they can't score. So it, it's, it's like they had every chance to win both games in 60 minutes. Right. The lack of controlled zone entries is I think uh, very concerning because they're not able to set up and cycle and create any offense. It's a lot of one and done and stretch pass and it's not working for me. Yeah. No. And I, I think the thing you said about them losing like the last two games being very much winnable, they were right there for the taking, even with the Blackhawks finding out the day of the first game against Nashville that uh, DeBrinket and Boquist are on the COVID-19 list, probably out for about two weeks, which will take us into early February. So losing those two guys and you're already playing without Taves and Doc and Nylander from the start of the season. So a severely shorthanded lineup, but the game was right there. Like just one, you know, Jan Mark got a breakaway in on Tuesday night, and that ended up sending the game to overtime. Tonight, the fourth line had one really good passing play. Carpenter got his own rebound and buried it. That sent the game into overtime. But their one goal, one good line short of being able to get the goal that would make them win. So I feel like that's going to be a season-long problem for this team because they're just not that deep with all the injuries they've had, and it's even worse right now. So I feel like that's going to be a consistent theme. But I guess from my perspective is I'm also somewhat encouraged. I'm, I'm feeling more optimistic tonight than I have than I than I was after the first two games against Tampa, for sure. But the fact that they're playing close games means you can get guys into crucial situations. You can get your younger players to play in the last five minutes of a game that's down by one or up by one or tied and expose them to that type of NHL hockey because that's what they need as part of their development. So it's much different to have close games. It's it's definitely more agonizing and frustrating, but you're not getting run out of the building, which doesn't do any good for anybody. If I can piggyback on one thing Shepard said too, Go ahead. The, fourth, the fourth line was pretty good tonight, and Hagel can really skate. Mm-hmm. He's a fast guy. He played well. I think Suter really needs to, if, if they have Taves and Doc back, you know, next year or whatever, I think he needs to play on a wing with Taves and maybe Kubalik. That could really be an ice-tilting line to set up, you know, the Kane line. Like, he impressed me tonight with some of his play away from the puck. So this this is what one part of hockey that I always 
I guess, struggle with. Like, I understand the center tends to have more defensive responsibilities, but I, I, I'm never able to look at a guy and decide whether or not he can play center or whether he can play wing. So is there something about Suter's game that makes you think he's more suited for a play on the wing than at center? Well, I more so said that because I'd liked him to play with Taves. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. like, because Taves is going to win the draw most of the time. Okay. And then you can kind of head down. Kind of think Taves, Saad, Hosa, like that kind of let's win the defensive oh. zone draw and then set him up in the offensive zone. Yeah. Yeah. I just that kinda, Yeah. Yeah. I think in 2021, the difference between a winger and a forward is a, a center is that the center is able to win faceoffs. Yeah, pretty much because well, they can't win faceoffs. Yeah, no, yeah. I, they haven't. Hockey Reference hasn't updated for the game that happened tonight, but David Kampf is at uh, 56 8. Dylan Strom's at 52.6. That's not bad. Suter's That's very at, much improved. Suter's at 40%, though. I don't yeah. know what the numbers were tonight, but. Uh, but that's that's something like the overwhelming majority of players who are new to the NHL, whether they're 19 years old and a number one pick or like Suter in their mid-20s, there's there's always an adjustment level for learning to win faceoffs at the NHL level. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out down the road. But that's always a steep hill to climb for anybody. Is Sorry, Yannick right. Perot still helping? The Blackhawks as a faceoff coach. I remember that was a thing for a while, and I have no idea if it's the case. But I remember Yannick Perot being on the Blackhawks when they were terrible, and his entire shtick was he wins faceoffs. I don't know what else he did, but he made it a pretty damn good career out of having the reputation of winning faceoffs. I believe he is still there, a faceoff coach. Yeah. Okay. I, I was just curious about that. I, I don't know if they have a specific faceoff coach position listed at their website, but. Uh, I, I think down the middle, we would all probably be satisfied. Taves, Doc, Strom, Camp, something like that. Piggybacking off of that is something I, I, I tweeted this from the Second City Hockey account during one of the games. As I was watching it, I feel like the line they have of Strom, Kubelik, and Kurashev, like, and obviously all those guys are pretty young, so they have room to grow, room to develop, and become better players. But I feel like that line – if you have them as your team's second line, it means your team is probably pretty good, and they, they're pretty good as a second line. But if you have enough talent that you can bump that trio down to the third line, that's a really, really, really good third line, and it also means your top two lines are even better, which means you probably have a damn, damn good team. So yeah. that's like I, – I guess that's the level of – development that you have to see out of the Hawks. It's probably their overall second line right now. Like the, I don't even know if you, the, you assume the line with Kane on it is the top line, but with so many guys out and rotating, I don't even know what you want to call them anymore. But, but if you get that line down to number three, you have a 30 goal scorer on left wing on your third line. Like that would be a very good team to have the 2015 Hawks championship team. The third line was sharp Tavo and Vermette sharp. Obviously was not the player he was earlier in his career, but he was a, had several 30-goal seasons on his resume, so so there's that. Fresh legs. Fresh legs, exactly. <laughs> then our fourth line could do their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. well that's, I think that's the ideal setup for a hockey team now is you have three scoring lines and then a fourth checking line. I, yeah. I, I think they're, they're, hockey's been slowly transitioning away from having like the third and the fourth line in more of a checking role. Like the really good teams of the last decade have had three good scoring lines and then the defensive minded checking fourth line. But moving away from that, I, I, I wanted to touch on uh, from the first, I guess from the Nashville game specifically, we're going to touch on the Detroit games in a little bit because those were much different outcomes overall compared to Nashville just on the scoreboard and otherwise. 
But with we talked a lot about the goalies, and and again, Kevin Lankinen's performance is very encouraging. But were there any performances of any of the skaters that stood out to any of you guys? Mill Shepard, either one of you want to go? Uh, from the first Nashville game, either, specific, either game. specifically. Um, well, like I, 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 I touched on Hagel, and um, you know, at first I just noticed how fast he was, but he was really he worked hard in the corners and was getting you know getting to his spots. And I, I, like I said, Suter, like those are the two main ones for me. Shepard, what about you? Yeah, I think part of the problem is that I think Colleton said the line's on blender mode since DeBrincat <laughs> went out. Right. Um, so we haven't much seen much of the probably better line of, of Kurashev, Kubalik, and Strom. Um, and, they, and when they were on ice the first game, they got shelled. It's, again, that, that fourth line with the addition of Hagel. Uh, Mills right that that line like that line because maybe because of the addition of Hagel but I don't think Kaim works that bad and um, is killing mm. it I would have liked to have seen more from Lucas Carlson and Nicholas Bodan was in this game right because I don't remember seeing him at all <laughs> uh, I remember they like zoomed in on him behind the net and he made a breakout pass and that's the only thing I remember him doing yeah I would be surprised if he had like six minutes on ice tonight I can tell I- you in a second yeah, I'm actually. I was actually working on pulling it up myself. I just I didn't understand the seven defensemen thing. Like I, I don't. I never understand it. I, like it's, the Golden Knights started the season with seven defensemen, and like it was wild. It, it to says both. It says both Dan played the same as Ian Mitchell nine forty nine. Mitchell at nine forty six, but I don't remember any of it. Well, yeah, see, and, th- and that's another problem is that again you're allegedly playing all these young guys, but two of your top young prospects don't even crack ten minutes because you're playing seven defensemen. Meanwhile, Connor Murphy played 24-24. Keith was at 26. DeHaan was over 22. So, yeah, back-to-back, and Murphy played 28 yesterday. Yeah. And okay. I don't, now like, now not, I'm going to start getting mad. <laughs> they are, they're, not, they're, they're for sure not playing the young guys right now. They're for sure overplaying their old guys. And I think we can all agree that we all like Connor Murphy. He's a good player. Yes. This isn't the 2015 final. You don't need to have your, your best defenseman out there for half an hour. Yeah, yeah like exactly. I, I understand, like, you know, if it got down to the last five minutes and maybe uh, you give Murphy a little bit more of a nudge to play because you want to get a win. Like, I, I could I could tolerate that in, like, in small increments, but, like, you're supposed to be playing the young guys. And and to your point about the seven defensemen, Shepard, playing seven defensemen on the second night in a row or second night in a row with a game – now you're shorthanding your forwards and you're just going to triple shift Patrick Kane all night. That takes away ice time potentially from Kurashev or Hagel or some of the other young guys. It's just, it, it seems it unnecessary. I, I, I yeah. didn't get it. I didn't understand it. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, again, like overplaying one position, it, I was wrong about Vegas. It was 13 forwards. They were playing, but either way, like <laughs> doing that makes no sense at all because one of those players, whether it's a seventh defense or a 13th forward are always going to have like five minutes on ice. So yeah, the only way it works is if you have a guy that can can be interchangeable, which is really rare. Yeah, and whenever a team has done that, I like I I've never seen a coach explain the massive benefits of doing that. I, I guess the hypothetical of having if you had three really good forward lines, you can rotate the last two, but that's not this team. So, no, and it actually here. So Colleton was asked about it in the post game. I'm going to read this quote verbatim this is uh, ben pope on twitter from the chicago sun times says uh just give us more options back there see who's going i thought as a group they responded pretty well guys who needed to be better were better and in parentheses bodan came in and gave us some solid minutes not even 10 but i guess yeah it's fine i know i just 
Yeah, 10 minutes of ice time for a defenseman is nothing. Nothing. Yeah, just bizarre. So I think that's – I don't know if you guys had any other burning thoughts you really wanted to add about huh. the game against Nashville tonight and last night, Mill. Just uh, Lazarus Post did a quote from Lankanen, and he was talking about how he, uh, you know, he's not afraid to be – like he's not trying to be too modest or anything like that. He's like, we're all great players, and I have to go out there and stop goals. And I'm like, all right, like I like this guy. He's, yeah, there's – You know, he's he, – he, he has like that – like the quiet confidence of, uh, I, I want to say Corey Crawford just because I want to make comparisons to him, but it does not appear that the stage intimidates him. I think some no. goalies will get to the NHL level and be terrified. Just it's it's a it's a very intimidating thing to get to the pro level. He does not seem to think that he doesn't belong on that stage, which is very encouraging. Now, the one thing I will say about him is he's played. Uh, a game against Nashville and then two against Detroit. <laughs> Not exactly yeah. the best teams in the league. So I had to start today. And actually, now I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, so I had to start today that it feels like what the Hawks are doing right now for the next roughly month of games. Hopefully they don't get any canceled by COVID with the way things are going. But they play a lot of the other teams in the division for the rest uh, for the next month or so. Like they got two against Columbus coming up this weekend. And then you got Carolina, then Dallas, then Columbus, Detroit, Carolina. The whole point is they get to the first week of March. You have three games and four nights against the lightning again. So I think, yeah, exactly. So I think the next month is the Hawks doing, you know, getting everybody out, facing everyone else. And I mean, Dallas was in the cup last year, so they, they can be a pretty good threat. And there's some other pretty decent teams in there as well. I don't want to write them all off, but Tampa is the defending cup champions for a reason. So you spend the next month trying to figure out what you've got. It's essentially you're, you're doing all your studying. And then the first week of March is going to be your midterm. And we're going to find out how much better the Hawks got from the first two games of the season to those three games against the lightning in March. I hope Lonkinen plays. I hope Kershev gets a bunch of ice time. I hope Mitchell and maybe Bodan and, and maybe Carlson and Boquist is back. And then, then we'll really see how far the Hawks have evolved over the, uh, the probably about 15, 20 games uh, at that point in the season. Okay. So I think by the time that the end of the season comes, the lightning are going to be on cruise control. Well, the way this division is shaping up, they could be there in March. Because yeah, I, a lot of the teams that were supposed to be like obviously Tampa's still pretty good, but I mean, well, I guess Florida's a little bit better, and and Dallas hasn't really had a ton of games yet, but Columbus no. hasn't really looked all that great to me. We just saw. I mean, they Nashville. haven't. Go ahead. Columbus still hasn't played without hasn't hasn't played with their new addition of a sure. like, line A. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I we just saw what Nashville looked like, and that wasn't that great. Um, no, Detroit's <laughs> going to be Detroit again. It looks like. And Carolina's only played three games. So maybe – I guess maybe what I'm trying uh, – my point is that was all premature, so maybe I should retract most of that. But Dallas dropped seven on Nashville the other night. That's true. That's Watching Nashville, like the Hawks gave up five goals in each of their first three or four games. I can't remember. Was It, it was four, right? Four. Four. Yeah. four. Yeah. Yep. And then in two nights, you scored – they scored three total goals. Or four, excuse me. But – yeah, and then got the the extra quote goal for winning in the shootout, and the other one was a three on three overtime. So they yeah. scored three regulation goals against the Hawks in two games. So so, so did Detroit. Well, that's, is that a? Set? I mean, I, that's, that's that a really a bad comparison. There was no team probably doesn't want. Yeah, yeah, there's no team that wants to have their team be, be in a sentence that goes with well. So did Detroit. 
That's not, that's not a sentence you want to be in right now. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I know. It's great, isn't it? It's fantastic. Because uh, last well, time the Hawks were this bad, Detroit was winning cups. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and while we're here, let, let's stay there. Uh, the Blackhawks play the Red Wings on Friday night and on Sunday afternoon and beat the hell out of Detroit twice. And I was delighted. The aggregate was 10 to 3. Um, I thoroughly – I, I don't think – for people who are, I guess, newer to the Blackhawks fandom, can't appreciate how good the Red Wings were. I mean, this is the best way I can put it for you. If, if you're also a sport, uh, fans of other sports in Chicago, basically the Red Wings were to the Blackhawks, what the Packers are to the Bears or the Cardinals were to the Cubs. And then in the last decade, it finally flipped where the Bears or excuse me, the Blackhawks were the team in power. But I spent the first like 20 years of my life watching Detroit just beat the shit out of the Hawks all the time. So I'm still reveling in everything that Detroit is doing lately. But um, Yeah, to add to that, I'm, when I met Patrick Sharp last year, I had him sign a ticket from when he had a game winner beating Detroit, like but when the Hawks, like his first year on the Hawks. Like that's how much that means to me instead of getting a jersey signed. Okay, was that – did he win that game? Was that the game he won in a shootout? Yes. Okay, because I, I was at that game as well. I, last game of the season? Yeah, it was like fan appreciation night. There was maybe 10,000 people there, but the Hawks beat the Wings, and that's all that mattered. Yeah, so it means a lot to us because <laughs> they, they were also won four cups. I mean. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's still like the little thing that's burning is that the Hawks only got three, and it's like only, only three cups I know, but Detroit got four. So, but Well, Detroit didn't have to deal with the salary cap. Exactly, exactly, and they also um, – Detroit was also just the first people to figure out that those Russians were pretty good at hockey too. Uh, did want to talk a little bit about those games because there was, there was a lot to like about what happened in in those uh, 120 minutes of hockey. So Shepard, I'll go to you first again. I know it's been a few days and we've had the Nashville games might've kind of cleared your memory at this point, but is there anything you remember or remember or anything you've noticed about that pair of games against Detroit that was really encouraging for you? European scouts are really good on this. Oh, that's game. right. Yeah, uh, Pia Suter, the newest addition, um, joins a long list over the last few years that includes Dominique Kubalik. Um, and he showed up in that game with a hat trick, his first goal, and then his first hat trick in the same game. Rare occurrence. Philip Kurashev, who's Swiss, he might not technically qualify because he played in the QMJHL, but I think probably his Swiss international play was one of the factors that brought him to this team. The, they looked really good about, against the Red Wings. They like finally won a possession battle this season against Detroit both games. They just looked a lot better. It was good to see. It was nice to see them look good for once uh, and not immediately look bad, but it was nice to see them look good for however long that lasted. And, and add, adding to your point about the European scouting is that also instills a little bit of confidence in the fact that the first round pick that they just had in the 2020 draft, Lucas Reichel was probably a product of those same European scouts that found Pew Suter and found Dominic Kubelik. So yeah. that gives you a little bit of encouragement about Lucas Reichel's career. I mean, he's still a teenager, probably still a few years off, but there is that. And, and he's looking good in the DEL this year too. Yeah. All, all the reports are good. So uh, no, no complaints there. So ever since he tested positive, for COVID and had to miss the whole world juniors, which kind of sucked. But well, we saw what happened when Blackhawks first round picks go to the world juniors. So, Oh, well, yeah. well what about you? What your uh, major takeaways from the two games against Detroit? Well, I mentioned in the last podcast that I watched Detroit's uh, splits with Carolina and Columbus, and they were playing a little bit more conservatively, especially in the neutral zone. 
but they kind of just tried to skate with the Hawks and the Hawks were able to have clean zone entries. They set up, they cycled, they had fantastic possession. They were um, just great shifts in general in the offensive zone. And I think that you can kind of tell, and, you know, Shepard kind of touched on this. Some of these guys that we're finding overseas, they can score. They just have mm-hmm. to be in the offensive zone. So Detroit's bad, but I mean, they're still a talented group. They just have to be able to cycle. Yeah. And well, and Detroit was supposed to be better this season and they, they were starting to look that way. I mean, they, they split with Carolina, they split with Columbus. So they were looking better than the historically terrible team they were last season. Now we do have to add the caveat that they were missing five players who were out on the COVID list. So that might soften the, the blow for them a little bit because like the Hawks for the game against uh, Nashville, they were severely shorthanded. But yeah, I think the one encouraging thing for me about Suter's hat trick was that each of his goals was scored a different way. And and I think that like it's one thing if a guy just like gets three tapping rebounds and would just happen to be there. But you know, the first goal was he w- he was in the right place, right time, tapped Tobin a rebound. Cool. The second goal was a one-timer on a power play where uh Yamark had the puck, was skating towards uh skating up the left side and Suter just recognized the passing lane that was going to be there put himself in position for the pass and then was able to finish it so that's that, there's a lot of good signs about that goal and then the third goal he scored was a two-on-one with Kane and you could tell pretty quickly that Suter's like well I'm going for my hat trick and he beat Bernier one-on-one and Bernier had a very good season last year and it was off to a decent start this year so I think you saw like all of his abilities were on display in each one of those goals. And that's an encouraging thing for me is that he can score goals in different ways because you need to be able to do that at the NHL level. Yeah, absolutely. The Hawks uh, also did a good job of staying disciplined. The Red Wings were taking all kinds of penalties in those two games. Yeah. What, and since you mentioned penalties, uh, the Blackhawks power play all of a sudden is uh, an unstoppable force of nature that cannot be stopped. I mean, it was stopped tonight. It's a, it's a <laughs> okay. problem. Okay, you didn't let me finish, Shepard. <laughs> but no, you're you are, you're absolutely right. They did not score a goal tonight, and that is the one minor concern I have about the the success they've had over the last five games. I put success in quotes because they've only won two of those games. If you go to their goal differential for the season at five on five play, they're a minus six overall. So that tells you how heavily they are relying on that power play to carry their offense for them. And on a night where they don't score any power play goals, like the game Wednesday night against Nashville, you saw what happened. They struggled to get the one that forced overtime. I don't think the Blackhawks power play will continue at a 40% clip for the rest of the season. It was encouraging that even with the brink it out on Tuesday night, they still found a way to score. I would not rely on that power play for the rest of the season, but if that power play keeps them competitive, in games that they wouldn't be competitive in otherwise, not a problem. It's it's an overall not bad thing. So, yeah, I mean it's encouraging to see that they get you know got off to a hot start with the power play, and then it, it shows that they have signs of life, and just hopefully they'll find some consistency at a sustainable level at least. And and I do enjoy that they at least made the obvious change. What to bring it out is they they kind of flipped the power play alignment around. You put Kane on the left wing and put Kubelik on the right wing on his offside so that Kane could pass across the Kubelik for one-timers because it's usually Kane on the right, it on the left, and then it's on his offside. So I'm glad that the obvious lineup change that was in front of them was there. 
Um, and one more thing I want to come back a little bit to the national game Tuesday night, because I'm Twitter rolling in front of me. And I saw a tweet that reminded me of something I wanted to talk about from Tuesday's game. Patrick Kane might've played maybe the worst game I've ever seen him play on Tuesday night. Um, oh yeah. Looked, had that kind of like disinterested look that Kane sometimes has, but sometimes he'll have that look and then score two goals the next period uh, on Tuesday night. He did not have an attempted shot on goal. Not even a shot on goal. He didn't even attempt one. The biggest chance he had, there was a two-on-one with him and Janmark, and he passed instead of taking the shot, which I think was a bad sign there because usually if Kane gets in on a two-on-one, unless he's with like Artemi Panarin or Alex Dabrinkit or like maybe Kubalik or maybe Taves, like someone who's an established NHL goal scorer, he's going to shoot. He has the ego, which uh, he has a healthy hockey ego of, I'm going to have a higher chance of scoring than my teammate is. And he's usually right about that. But uh, in, in Wednesday night's game, Kane had 13 shot attempts, four of them were on goal, four of them were blocked, and five of them missed the net. So the the Hawks were outchanced 15 to eight while Kane was on the ice. So maybe not his best performance, but we had a few people on the mentions of the second city hockey Twitter account suggesting that maybe they should scratch Kane. And I think that might've been a little bit extreme. I mean, he did look really bad, especially in that overtime because he sort of is to blame for that goal against, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that strip, uh, that switch that didn't happen between he and Strom. And, and that's, that's one thing I've been, I'm interested about with Kane is like, he's been at the highest level. Like he's used to playing, uh, you know, where every game's a big game and then you go to the postseason. I, I know the Hawks haven't been all that great for the last few seasons, but at some point does it start to weigh on you that you're always just playing for last place essentially in the division? There has to be a level of disinterest in general just because any game this season isn't going to compare to any of the games when the Hawks were winning half of the games they played. So, yeah. I guess yeah, not – and not to get too into intangibles too, but that locker room is missing Taves and Seabrook. And I mean, that's kind of a big deal, you know, when you have yeah. guys like Kane and Shaw and Murphy mm-hmm. and, you know, wearing A's, I'm sure Duncan Keith is, is vocal, but um, it, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's tough for us fans. How does it feel for, you know, a, a future hall of famer? Yeah. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break here and then come back on the other side of this timeout. And we're going to talk about the games that the Blackhawks have coming up within the next week. Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. And before we get out of here for the next week, we wanted to touch really quickly on the games that the Blackhawks have coming up over the course of the next week. Uh, Starts off on Friday night and Sunday night at the United Center. They will play the Columbus Blue Jackets, who do not have Pierre-Luc Dubois anymore after trading him away. And they probably still won't have Patrick Laine because he's got to do all the quarantine stuff coming from Canada to the U.S. So it'll be a, a somewhat shorthanded Columbus team, but Tortorello will still be behind the bench yelling and screaming and being crazy. So, so there's that. And then on uh, February 2nd, which is next Tuesday, the Hurricanes come to town for the first game. They play Tuesday and Thursday, and then the Hawks get two days off before two coming up against Dallas. But let's stick with the short-term future and uh, focus initially on the Columbus series. Uh, anything in particular that you guys are looking forward either from a Columbus perspective, from a Chicago perspective, uh, Shepard, what kind of things are you going to have your eye on for the next two Blackhawks games? I mean, so Columbus so far has had like a rough start offensively and I don't think Dubois being, yeah. And I don't (laughs) think Dubois being benched 
for the, a while and then being traded probably helped with that considering he was their best center. But they sort of figured it out without Dubois when he was traded. So mm-hmm. we'll see. They scored three goals in the first period, the game after he was traded. And I think Cam Atkinson coming back to life sort of helped with that. But their defense hasn't been scoring as much as they usually do. And that might be something to watch because Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones are still two really good defensemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach Wierenski, the year that Columbus made a deep playoff run, he was kind of a re- – I remember watching him a lot in that postseason just – watching him and be like, Ooh, I want one of those on the Blackhawks. Just watching him run the blue line at five on five and, and running the point on the power play is a sight to behold. So I don't know how Columbus's power play is this year. I assume it's at least decent because what Runsky is running it. Well, it's, Let's see. One for 19. So maybe not. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's about to be better. Yeah. It's, it's about to be better whenever Patrick Alana gets there. But Oh, yeah, for for sure. Uh, Wierenski can't run the whole damn thing by himself. But, yeah, Zach Wierenski is a fun hockey player to watch. So is Seth Jones. They seem like they might have to be a little grindy for a while without any stars, like without having line A around. And, I mean, Boone Jenner's got five points, and that's third on the team right now. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're, and they're going to have to figure out their center situation, too. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, they have a lot to work on. And I will say, we we talked about this earlier when we were talking about the Blackhawks goalies. Last season, entering last season, Columbus had two goalies that they were going to run with, and nobody knew if they were going to be any good in Jonas Corposalo and Elvis Merzlikens. And they both turned out to be pretty good. So far this season, Corposalo is at a .928 save percentage, 245 goals against. Merzlikens is at 891 save percentage and 3.34 goals against. So obviously... Merzlikens is not off to a very good start this year, but uh, those that goalie situation is the only thing that gave me the slightest semblance of hope that maybe the Blackhawks goalies would not be terrible. And so far, Kevin Lockinen's kind of doing the thing, so that's nice. Uh, Mill, what about you? What kind of things are you going to be watching for in this upcoming series? You know, I want to say these are winnable games, but yes. I'm, I'm a little nervous because Tortorella's power play is usually pretty good. So I feel like they're knocking on the door and they'll probably get going. But to me, this is going to be about, you know, coaching decisions. And, and Jeremy Colleton hasn't really made any decisions that I've, I've been impressed by. I'll say it like that. Um, Tortorella knows what he's doing. So even if they're missing some guys or they're playing at a subpar level, I think if he can get the matchups, it's going to be uh, it's going to be rough for the Blackhawks. And, you know, even though they're at home and have last change, Colleton isn't really taking advantage of that since he's been around. So uh, we're going to have to get the right matchups. And like you said, the goalie play is going to have to stay consistent. Yeah, and I, I'd expect Lunkinen to probably grab a game and then maybe after Tuesday night's game, Subban to grab the other one. And yeah. if they can have repeat performances, maybe that'll be better. I feel like Delia might get a look again at some point, though. I mean, like the – At some point, but It's supposed I don't, to be – well, I mean, like Subban was good on Tuesday yeah. night. Lankanen's obviously been the best of the three, but um, it is a like it's a season long competition. Like like Lankanen obviously is a star right now, but I mean, we could be come back in a month and Delia could be the number one guy head and shoulders. So it's it's a long process. I feel like it's it's still far too early in the game to relegate anybody to taxi squad. So I feel like Delia will get a look at some point in the next two or three games. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know what they're thinking, but that would be my approach if I was in that situation because you're you know you're still trying to evaluate everybody. So 
or maybe or maybe they wait until Lankanen like lays an egg because it seems like that would happen at some point, but maybe not. I mean, he did make 41 saves tonight against Nashville, so who knows? Um, and and look, I'm clicking around at natural stat trick, by the way, and Columbus's possession numbers across the board are pretty much worse than the Hawks are. Well, I should say it's closer to being about just as bad as the Hawks in most categories. So it will be interesting to see which team can sustain possession and get more shots and chances and goals because neither team has been any good at it through the first portions of the season. Uh, Columbus said, I think seven games so far, maybe eight tonight, but I don't know, but either way, they, they haven't had uh, any massive COVID issues so far. That's going to be a big thing going forward too, because the Hawks are now down three players and yeah, if yeah. it's two, two weeks in this season is a lot of games. That, that's going to be that's going to be an interesting season long struggle for everybody, just because it's just it's it's everywhere. Like like it, yep. it's literally like, and if you look like a lot of the trends are starting to finally go down, and things seems like things seems like things are slowly starting to get better in the Chicago area and across the whole country. But I mean, it, it takes one player that you know one player goes out to a restaurant he wasn't supposed to or like a player's kid comes home from school and got it from a classmate and then he gives it to the the dad the dad brings it into the locker room five players get locked down you're screwed like it's it's going to be a season long uh a season long stretch of interruptions i feel like at least for the first two or three months, maybe if they the vaccination gets rolled out fast enough and numbers start really going down, maybe the league starts uh, doesn't have to deal with it as much. But I mean, if you watch the basketball season, if or like watch the early stages of basketball season, if you followed football season, especially college football, like they were postponing games every weekend. Like I would I would put right now with the over under of the Blackhawks playing all 56 games and for every team in the league honestly I would take under 55 and a half just because weird shit's going to happen it's it's just the way it's just the way the world is right now but hopefully uh things will slowly start to get better yeah any final thoughts gentlemen I, I'm out of things to to ask you <laughs> um on the covid note I think seeing the Capitals get fined the way they did is kind of the league sending a message about how serious they are because they don't want games to be canceled because they're already missing out on so much revenue. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that'll enforce people to to be safe just because we don't we don't want anybody getting sick, of course. You know, other than that, uh, I I hope the goalie play stays consistent and let's uh, let's be better on offense. Yeah, I, yeah. I think your, your point about like the players getting uh, not getting not having any like ill effects from it. Like the overwhelming majority is that, yeah, the majority of the players that get it, these guys are all guys in their late teens, maybe twenties and early thirties. They're all in peak physical condition. They are in the extremely low category of people who are going to have long-term effects from this illness. However, there are not, there are exemptions that exist out there. And the one I always come back to Yon Mankata in Chicago got it and said, you know, they got near the end of the season, and he said he just hasn't been right the whole year. Miles Garrett had it in football. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders had it in football. There are guys that have it, and anything that affects your breathing, essentially, uh, anything that can affect the breathing of a professional athlete seems like it'd be one hell of a thing to deal with. So um, ideally, no one on the team gets it. Obviously, that has already – we've already crossed that bridge. So now your hope is that the uh, the outbreak is l- limited and all those guys have no ill effects and they're all back in the lineup healthy in two weeks. But even if the odds are incredibly low, 
it's still there's still potential even if it's 0.0001%. You, you it's 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 I don't know how much of a risk any of you got any of those guys want to take when those guys are worth millions of dollars. I would say that's probably why Jonathan Taves also stayed home. I mean, hopefully he's okay with whatever he's going through, but he doesn't want to risk yeah. obviously getting COVID on no, top of it. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Totally fair too. Um, I we we've gotten the through various social media accounts that Second City Hockey operates, we have gotten about five or six different diagnoses of people claiming inside information. So that gives me the confidence knowing that he probably has none of those things because I highly doubt anybody actually knows what's going on yet. And uh, except, except him and his family, and probably his agent, and those people aren't leaking. Yeah. So uh, we'll, when uh, I hope we find out something soon, just because it's kind of unsettling that we don't know anything, but. Uh, like all the people messaging us claiming inside information, like we don't believe you. So you can, you can (laughs) shepherd your final thoughts. Uh, Let's, let's do some actual player evaluation over the next few games. eh? Uh, Let's, (laughs) let's stop giving the old guys so many minutes and start giving uh, Philip Kurashev some minutes and Ian Mitchell some minutes. And I know we're down Adam Boquist, but Bodan maybe, and getting those, those young guys that you promised to play actually on the, uh, on the ice. Yeah. I mean, we're like what, like 11, 12% of the way through the season. So I, I don't want to start getting too upset about that yet, but the anger is building. Yeah. I can feel it a little bit. Like every time, like, especially tonight seeing both Ian Mitchell and Nicholas Bodan under the 10 minute mark. Like that's, that's, yep. that's just not gonna, you, you front office said this was about the young players. Well, yes. show us. Calvin DeHaan's a fine player and might be maybe they're raising his value to trade him off at the deadline to get something for him in return. But uh, Calvin DeHaan, like he might have a somewhat of a future here, but I need to know what Ian Mitchell can do. I know what Calvin DeHaan can do. He's pretty much a known commodity at this point. Yes. So. Yes, yes, yes. All right, guys. Mel, did you have a final thought? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I just said agreed. Oh, okay. Good. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad we're in agreement. And then on that note, let's end it. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Musings on Madison show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, I forgot to say this at the top, but uh, definitely follow us on Twitter. I am at underscore Dave Milton. Mill is at Mill182. Shepard is at Shepard Price. Uh, you can follow the Second City Hockey Twitter account at 2ND City Hockey. And you can visit our website, secondcityhockey.com, where we have content there all the time. Please follow, please rate our podcast if you would, please. Like, we'd love some five-star reviews because we hope people are enjoying this. And and the more better ratings that we get, the more we can bring this to you, which is, I'm glad my English was so good when I'm trying to solicit good ratings for us, but that happens. Um, But yeah, follow along with us. We're going to be back hopefully every week throughout the rest of the season. And uh, stay tuned to the website. If any news breaks, we'll let you know. And I think that'll do it for this episode. For Mill, for Shepard, I'm Dave. Thank you again so much for listening. And go Hawks.